weathering storm comes a tall handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand This episode is brought to you by 4000 and Counting Merch. If you want to help the podcast while you're looking fly, head on over to our Facebook page, check out the pinned post. We've got tuddies, hoodies, two-tone hoodies, two-tone zip-up hoodies. We've got long-sleeve tees. We've got short-sleeve tees. We've got fitted tees. We've got baggy tees. We've got baseball caps. We've got snapbacks. We've got beanie hats. Pretty much anything you can imagine we have got. Check out 4000 and Counting Merch now. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of 4000 and Counting. I am Nikki Watt and I am just going to head straight over to part two of the Danny Myers interview. Really good feedback from part one. We hope you enjoy it. This interview is brought to you by Peak Fitness Personal Training. Are you struggling to motivate yourself during this lockdown? Maybe you put a few extra pounds on which you want to lose before the summer comes around. Don't leave that summer body pending until next year. Do you want to be accountable? Then why don't you join our Zoom classes? 6pm. Check us out on Facebook. You'll find the link. You'll find the code. Peak Fitness can also write bespoke programs for your training needs. Come out of this lockdown fighting fit and ready to stroll along the beach living your best life. Check them out on Twitter and Instagram at Nikki Watt Fitness and you can find them on Facebook at Peak Fitness Personal Training. Head over to www.nikkiwattfitness.com. Mental health is something that has always been important to the 4000 and Counting podcast and something that we have always championed. And I've actually been working very closely with Nick Rothwell, former podcast guest on something called Retribe recently. And we have just launched our Kickstarter campaign. The idea behind it is to help people build communities or rebuild communities that they may have lost through isolation for, for people who need it most this time. So we connect rather than connecting people based on common interests. The connection will be based on common trauma. So you have a support network of people that truly understand what you are going through at this time. So through the podcast, uh, as well as working with Nick Rothwell, we want to support this as much as we can uh, and as much as possible. So please head over to kickstarter.com and search for re-tribe community builder. That's re-tribe community builder and please pledge whatever it is that you can afford so that we can help get this product off the ground and start making a real difference to people's lives today so yeah so then the next day we fly out to belfast and we watch um, belfast with jade and um and Corey play against the boston bruins and sure as shit guess who scores jay scores top shelf on two <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna say there's there's definitely something we've been said about I, I maybe heard there might have been a little bit of trouble on said trip mr myers so please elaborate on oh man that whole weekend starting so starting from the blue blade concert all the way because so we we fly out on the friday we don't play till sunday so fuck so when in <laughs> belfast <laughs> Zlatko's birthday as well, and my God, we were just trashed, absolutely trashed, so bad. So yeah, that's all that happened. Fucking pussy! <laughs> you told me you told me you were ready to go when you texted me. Yeah, it? no, I mean, I was, I, I was. It depends who you speak to because um, if you speak to Lacko and, and Stevie, they that they they reckon I you know was teabagging an Audi or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say. Yes. Every time I see those guys, they're like, all right, why is he too bad in the Audi's lady? I'm like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> but yeah, so Jade scores top shelf on Tukaras that night. And you know what the sad thing about that is? 
the jersey that Jade got, so it was a Belfast um, Giants jersey and it had Boston Bruins on it. It was a specially made jersey and he scored top shelf on Tukaraz. Anybody in their mind will keep that jersey. Jade sold that jersey in the next week to fund his boots. That sounds yeah, that sounds oh to be fair, that sounds fun as well. <laughs> <laughs> like, like if he if he went to like manumission and got fucking in one. We would uh we, we would get paid monthly in, in Nottingham and he would have to go to he would pay like £120 to get the check um kind of pushed through quickly so he could have his cash. Fuck sounds like Chubbs. Two weeks. Yeah, so Chubbs, yeah, you know what? He's got a lot of livestock. Yeah. And, go convert, uh, go convert at the top of town, paying yeah, eighty yeah, pounds to get, yeah. to, to get fucking two hundred quid back. It's like, dude, so, what are you um, doing? And, and he sold his jersey to get some beers, and you know that was Jade, and it's like, fuck Jade, like you scored top shelf and took a rush in that jersey, and uh, now you should be wanking beer. into that for the rest of your life. Yeah, it was, it was that was Jade though. I wanted to ask you uh, while we're on the old Belfast subject. I hear you went. To Halloween one night as an infamous oh, Belfast giant, which you, you probably wouldn't get away with in this day and no, age. No, I mean, but... you know what's funny? When, whenever any of these stories kind of come out now about people black in their face, I absolutely fucking cringe because, yeah, I went to Sean McMorrow one year. And... No, uh, no. I, I, Craig was there before me. Yeah, I went to Sean McMorrow one year. So, uh, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I guess. I, but that's when people could take a fucking joke, and it yeah, was a joke. It's it not, was a joke it, and, and stuff like that. And that was just after he'd been arrested as well. Obviously, that was I wasn't fucking doing it while they were still in the league. Taff had lent me a belt. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> Wait for that motherfucker to be in handcuffs before you start taking the piss. So the costume, he, uh, you know, like I, I had his jersey on, had the cowboy hat on, and had like you know the ten bags of coke and stuff like that. Fucking hell. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I fuck it. Halloween, man. Like, we always used to go in on Halloween. One year I went to Dog the Bounty Hunter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we would always have fun. The, the real question is was was it talcum powder or was it like actually cocaine? Like, did, did, did you have a good night or did you just get a block nose? <laughs> Considering all the Neanderthals that I've played on, I've never done any drugs. I've never done it. I can't believe like, some of the fuck, because I know some of the players. Same. That's, in, that, <laughs> that, that's incredible. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. You know what? I, you know what? I, I guess I was always one of those people where I was like, if I try drugs, I'm going to be the guy in the, in the newspaper that tried drugs for the first time and died. And I just never tried it. Just never did. So, uh, yeah, me, which me is, neither. Which is incredible. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I've never, never touched a drug in my life. Yeah, normally, I, I don't drink. Of course, a drug. I wanted to, while we're still on Halloween costumes, I want to throw my favorite in the mix as well. And sadly, it does involve blacking up again. But one year at Basingstoke, Alex Simmons went as an IB for a looky looky man and he had a, tra- <laughs> he had a tray, he had a tray of Ray Bans in all the different colors. He had the fucking all the necklaces, like the little, the little scoop necklaces, and he had a fucking helicopter hat on, pants, pants. And trainers, that was it. You know what? I'm surprised. I'm surprised Huey didn't say anything about his podcast because he, one year he went as uh, Kanye West and Jonathan Phillips went as Kim Kardashian. And then the next year, Jono went as Biggie and <laughs> Huey went as Tupac. And I'm telling you, man, it was a spitting image. Like he went no shirt, thug life tattoo. The work to shit as well because Shuey was fucking shredded. Yeah, he was okay to do stuff like that. 
<laughs> yeah, sorry, no, no fat lad. Let's uh, let's we've just went off on a proper four thousand and counting, <laughs> like story time for the boys segment. Let's let's talk some more ice hockey. Alex Penner. Yeah, just weapon X. Weapon X. I mean, when he came over, you know, we we knew his reputation. How much bigger did your balls get oh, when that motherfucker went on your wrist? This time we signed Guy Lapine as well. I was getting onto him as well. Dude, that was <laughs> really, you know, we didn't know a whole lot about Gene, okay. So we um, we we signed Alex Penner and um, first. Tra- so in Nottingham, you do an open training session, and there's usually like two or three thousand people to turn up, and we're all waiting in kind of just outside the dressing room, about to go out on the ice, and Penn just turns around to us. He's like, "Watch this!" So he skates where the, the home the home bench is, he skates out as fast as he can, jumps up into the boards, body checks the boards, falls down, gets back up, skates the length of the ice, and then jumps into the glass and smashes the glass. <laughs> so, uh... That was his introduction to Nottingham. So as you can imagine, the crowd are just going nuts. And um, he, I remember, like, he had two fights with McMorrow. And I remember his first fight with McMorrow. But they were they, calling each other out in the so press this, and yeah, stuff. So this was, it yeah, was so unprecedented. Chris Ellis had done an uh, like podcast and he had interviewed the two of them. And um, they were both on this podcast together. And the two of them were like, yeah, you know, got so much respect for you, man. Like, can't wait to fight you. And the other one's like, yeah, it's going to be a great fight. Can't wait to fight you. And then we had a home game on the Saturday. And you, as usual, I wonder Penn's if that podcast was more interesting than ours. Yeah. Pence will go out and uh, get drunk and he would then just turn up for the bus the next day or wherever we were playing on the road and he would just kind of sleep the whole way up because he hadn't slept all night and so we that next day we're playing Dundee and so he slept the whole way there in his in his team jacket on the on the floor on the aisle of the floor of the coach no pillow no duvet just just <laughs> gross and, and now he's fighting but tomorrow that night so we get up into Dundee which is great because they got underfloor heat. It's really nice on your feet. So I, I did enjoy Dundee tr- uh, dressing room. That was good. And I remember just kind of like looking at him and he was just like, you know, just completely calm and thinking, like, you're going out to fight. Like, you know, you're going to fight this guy and you're completely calm. And I, I guess that's just kind of the psyche of a, of a legit heavyweight. Proper it tough, proper tough wobble. heavy. Just... Talk, talk to me about that celly, because that used to... I don't like a celly after a fight, but when you do that, it gets my dick a little bit hard. So off, off, off the draw, they fight. For me, the best fight I've ever seen live. That, that's as close as I will get to an, seeing an NHL fight. Uh, you could hear it. It was technical. It was tough. It was just two big humans fighting. And it was just, it was just incredible to see that caliber of fighting. And... They go, they go, they go, and then they tap each other on the head. And then Pence goes one way and does his weapon X. And then McMorrow goes the other way and does his sheriff. And I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's fucking ridiculous. It was oh, it's proper WWE <laughs> shit. Like, and then off with them. And then, and then we play the game. But they both threw lefts, man. And then they both threw rights. They and then they, so they both threw body shots. And- so tough. So tough. Just like, you know, when you see videos of the Quebec Senior League and you watch that and you're like, this is fucking mind-blowing. That's what it was like. It was crazy. Well, there's no, those, those boys are no stranger to that league. <laughs> Just crazy. Hard, hard, hard way to make an easy living doing it like that. 
Let's fast forward to your final year as a Nottingham Panther. You got to see, no, no, sorry, not the final year. Yeah, 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 final year. Uh, you got to see, still there, it's all going well. And then you, you, get the, you get the knock from Mr. Moran, I imagine. And your services are no longer required. Listen, while, while everything was going on, uh, while every, we, you know, we were winning trophies, we'd won two back-to-back tro- uh, doubles. Um, and we had really kind of turned things around. Corey had done an amazing job of turning that organisation into a really kind of, from a team that was a club that was kind of laughed upon with the fact that they were bringing in good players and not getting success Started from Corey, uh, from Mike, and then to Corey, and Corey had taken the organisation to a whole another level and had done an incredible job. And you know, while everything we're winning trophies and and stuff's going well in the background, it wasn't always the case. And by this time, you know, my relationship with Gary wasn't great. It hadn't been great really since the time Mike fired Paul because I was kind of seen as one of Mike's signings and one of Mike's boys. And then Gary had never really warmed to me at all. And there've been some internal battles throughout the years. And, and Corey, Corey had always kind of defended me to Gary, because I think if Gary had had his way, I certainly would. You know what, for everything that I'd done in Nottingham, my biggest achievement was last as long as I could help. Well, That's my biggest achievement. It- it's it's well i don't know how we need to say it that, that's kind how of, I, feel. I it's kind of ironic the way that it all kind of fucking went down and yet you're still yeah. i'm still <laughs> the most successful captain in their fucking history and yeah, it's still just, most gary, likely to be ever the most successful captain in their history well, well, you know gary had never been a fan of me at all and there was a Continue. Well, I guess he can suck a bag of dicks right now, then, because uh sucks to be him. Yeah. What was all of that? Once, once Gary doesn't like you, then then that's it for you. And 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 it was rough. And there were just certain things that went so, on. Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but um, like if you, like you're saying Gary didn't like you, and and like it's rough when he didn't. How did becoming captain kind of affect that relationship? Was it a bit like? Yeah, I mean that that didn't did that that stir, didn't go stir the well, pot in, in the relationship. Yeah, that, that just kind of highlight that just kind of kind of raised the pressure a little bit there, and um, he certainly didn't want be wanted me being captain of his team, and so there were some internal things that were going on, and I was I was listen I was the captain of the team, and I had and I spoke on behalf of the team, and and if things weren't if things needed doing, if things weren't right, or things needed adjusting, I was a spokesperson for 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 my teammates, and I was always willing to put my neck on the line for my teammates. And so, with that, with that comes consequences. If you're going to be as honest and as brutally honest as I am, because if you ask me a question, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what I think. If you don't ask me a question, I won't say anything. I'm not going to. We might have to get out. you on as a bit of a fucking co host in the future, Myersy. You know, I'm not going to say anything unless I'm asked. So I'm not going to go out there and give everyone my opinion or my view on something unless asked. But if you're going to ask me a question, then I want to give you a brutally honest answer. That's how it should be. Now, the problem is, is that when you are honest, that comes with consequences. You know, you can you can lay in the weeds and you can kind of do the old, 
well, you know, okay, blah, 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 blah. I was kind of like, no, this is fucking bullshit. I don't think this is right. And so then you're kind of, then you're crossing a line. And once you cross that line, there's no way back. What I will say is I regret absolutely nothing for the way I died. No, nor should you. Absolutely if you, if, if you talk, if you're talking the truth, I wish you went Conor McGregor. And the funny thing was, the things that I was saying was of no benefit to me. I personally was not benefiting from any of these things. It was for the benefit of my players, uh, for my teammates, sorry, and trying to, to do things. And it wasn't me trying to take over anyone's job at all. But if something bullshit was going on, I'd be like, hey, come on now, treat the players a little bit better here. I don't think this is right. When you do that, you then have a fucking bullseye on your back. And to be honest, it was only a fucking matter of time. And so I'd, I'd gone away with GB and... While I was away with GB, it was actually my best tournament that I ever played for GB. I had a really, really good tournament. And I knew knew Corey had... Weaves had just been released from Coventry, and so I knew that Corey was talking with Weaves, but I didn't think anything of it. And and I played a really good game, and then Corey said to me afterwards, and it was really bizarre, Corey said to me afterwards, he goes, Corey, you're going to have no problems getting a job in Europe next year. And then I was kind of like... It kind of sat with me, and I got back to my hotel room, and I was like, something's not right here. And then whenever, like, whenever I was away with GB and any of the Nottingham players scored a goal or got an assist or got around the match, it would go onto the Nottingham Panthers website. If I'd done any of those, it'd never make it to the website. And so I knew this was all kind of going on anyway. And then Corey said that to me and I was kind of like, fuck, I didn't, what? Like, why did you say that to why, me? Why, why didn't you really, um, I suppose I felt I had started something in Nottingham and I wanted to see it through. You know, I wanted to win that league title. We won many playoffs and challenge cups, but the, the league title was the big thing. And I wanted to be there for it. And so I've invested myself so much into this team. Like, so much. Well, you moved your whole fucking life up there. bought a house, everything. I did, yeah. I, I, I'd given it all. Like, I was like, literally like, I would say the mercy of the team or anything like that. But I was literally like, I'm giving you everything I have here. And um, so Corey said that to me. And then, and I said to, and I said to Matthew at the time, I said, I think I'm getting fired. And Matthew's like, what the fuck you want to do? Is this Matthew, like, Matthew oh, Myers? What, yeah. Myers, sorry. Yeah. yeah, Matthew Myers. And I was what like, man rocket that fucker yeah. is. So I think I'm getting fired. He was like, don't be so stupid. I was like, ah, fuck. All right. So play the rest of the tournament. And in the end game, Doug Christensen was his assistant coach at the time. And Doug came over to me and he goes, listen, if things don't work out in Nottingham, I'd love to have you in Belfast. So I'm thinking... Hold on a second, like he knows my commitment to Nottingham. Like, why the fuck is he thinking that? So we get home on the Sunday, and then Monday morning, I'd had a two-year contract. So I'd only fin- I'd, I'd done the first year and I had a two-year contract. And then I called because sorry, I just just for our listeners here, you said, played one year and then you got a three-year and then you got a two-year, right? No, no. So I, I sorry, my my contracts had kind of I'd, I'd sign a one-year contract, two-year two contract. Year. Two-year contract. I was there for six years oh, yeah. and a two-year. Yeah. So you. Yeah. In, so in now, your... so I'm halfway yeah. through my my third two-year contract. So I, I find Corey on the Monday morning, and I'm like, "Everything all right with my contract, Corey?" And he was like, "We we need to talk." And I was like, "I think you just said." It. And he was like, "Come on, let's talk." And Corey lived on the same estate as I, so I got off the phone and I turned to my wife and I was like, "Joanna, I'm going to get fired here." And she's like, what do you want about? I'm like, I'm going to get fired. So I walk out the door and I walk over to, because I can walk to Corey's house. So I walk over and I, and I come through the door and Corey's just sat in the kitchen and he's like, 
you know, this is it, buddy. And I was like, fuck me, really? And he was like, we've got to go in a different direction. Too much stuff's kind of gone on. And to be honest with you, that whole time, Corey had been protecting me from, you know, and I think Corey had finally just been like, I can't protect him anymore. And he was like, we're just, um, we're just going to have to go a different way here. You know, just, I'm sorry. Thank you for everything you've done. And, um, and that was it. Well, let's, uh, let's touch on the article that the BBC News put out at the time. It's 2012, I believe. Corey's quoted as saying this. It's hockey. People come, people go. We all know that. Uh, I'm not making light of Danny. He was a real loyal player, a good captain, and did a lot of great things. We have a very professional meeting and went over things. It was tough. We have been together for six years. He's a teammate. He's a friend. He's a neighbour. And it's very hard. I thought he dealt with it in a very professional manner. I was thankful for that and tried to be the same. Sometimes things change. It happens. There is a natural timeline. I have to make certain decisions. Was I willing to go three very good British defensemen and two imports? I didn't want to go that way. And then he goes on to talk about yeah, that. And, and, then, and then you went, fuck you, man. I'm going to sign for your Sheffield Steelers. <laughs> Get that right <laughs> up your hoop. So, so, yeah, so that, that happens on the Monday. So Monday night, Monday night, word starts getting out. So the, the Panthers don't release this to the Thursday. So then Monday night, I get a phone call uh, from Simsy. Danny, we've heard what's going on. We want you here and we want you to sign tonight. And I'm like, Simsy, like, just, just give me a second. <laughs> Show me oh, just, like, just, just let, let, let me figure <laughs> my head just out. Digest right? it. <laughs> yeah, I just need to digest this. And then, and then two minutes later, Doug Christensen calls. Danny, what do you think about coming to Belfast? So I'm like, for fuck's sake, this is starting now. And the thing is, is that all the British players get signed up before you go away with GB. So there's only a limited amount of roles that are left because all the guys are signed up because no one wants their player going to GB without being signed up because they know they can get tapped up. Ooh, now, I don't know if that's still the case 100%. now, but that's the way it used to be, right? So they make sure that all their players are signed up. So there's a limited amount of, of spots left. So... So I got a phone call from Simsy. I got a phone call from Doug Christensen in Belfast. G calls me in, in Cardiff. Paul Thompson calls me in Coventry. Then Neil Black calls me. Thanks me for everything that I've done. Would really love nice to have you up in Brayhead. So I'm like, fuck. Like, for some reason, like, Brayhead fans have always been really, really good to me. Sorry, just, just really, out of interest, really for, for some context here, doesn't Neil Black own the Nottingham Panthers? Yeah, so Neil Black is, is, yeah. is obviously, he Joint is, owner of both. he's the owner of Nottingham and Brayhead. So yeah. Neil calls me, thanks me for everything. I've so done so where, where, where does Gary um, Moran so fit into this? Just like, I, 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 so I'm i confused. Is, uh, I, I know he's a GM. But Sorry, so, like, yeah, but, but Corey makes all the sign-ins. Corey does all the sign-ins and he, he does all that. So the, the general manager title that Gary has is more of a manager of off-ice operations as opposed to on ice. Like 50-50 tickets and shirt off the back sales <laughs> and like hand jobs. But he runs all the off-ice. And so, um, so, so Neil, the owner of Nottingham, who's also the owner of Brayhead, says, you know, thank you very much for everything you've done. I've got to respect my coach's decision. We'd love to have you up in Brayhead. So now I've got to choose. So Joanna, my wife, is, we've had our second son now and my wife is just about to start her new job. So she hasn't worked this whole time because she's been looking after the kids. So she's now going back to work. My oldest son is starting his first year of school or second year of school. So I'm kind of like, man, like, 
how is this all going to work? I don't want to disrupt them. I want to keep playing. So what, what am I going to do here? So straight away, Cardiff, I was like, too far for me. I don't want to move. It's too far for me to commute. Cardiff is taken away. Don't want to move to Brayhead because although I'd, I'd really like to go up there and, and Bruce Richardson was up there at the time, my ex-teammate, really great fans, organization on the up. I'm not ready to, to leave my house. So now I'm down to three. Doug Christensen had made me an offer that he was going to fly me in and out of Belfast. So I was going to go and stay for, for three nights, come home for three nights, stay and just go and fly me in and out. And I had a really good relationship with Doug in Belfast. So Belfast is there. Then I've got Paul Thompson, my GB coach in Coventry. Coventry's a massive rival of Nottingham. And then, of course, I've got Simsy in Sheffield, which is, of course, goes without saying. So if I go to Sheffield, that's going to look bad. If I go to Coventry, that's going to look bad. Belfast, can I, can I do that all the time? Can I be travelling all the time? So I thought, I can't, I don't think I can do that because if I go to Belfast, they're only going to get half of me. And I don't think I'm going to be able to play my best. And so it's not going to, I'm not going to play very well there, being flying back and forth all the time. I'm not going to give myself a good shout. So then I'm down to Coventry and Sheffield. And then at the time, Coventry had kind of, they'd gone past the kind of heyday. They were, they, from, you know, the time of Neil Martin and Adam Calder and Dan Carlson, that era was over. And so I looked at it and I was thinking, what's my best chance of winning a league? And, and Tony Smith had just taken over at Sheffield. Finner had just taken over as coach. And then the decision was made to go to Sheffield. So did you did you stay at home and commute? You, uh, you won you won the playoffs that year. So I stayed at home and commuted for the for, so I signed a two year contract in Sheffield and I commuted um, for uh, for two years. And they you just started doing all that road, all those roadworks on the M1 as well. Perfect. Like, literally the first week <laughs> and for the whole two three years the two the whole two years I was there. And I think it went for about four years. The whole two years I was there. And fucking roadworks the whole way. So uh, so yes. So now I've now I've signed in Sheffield. I've gone from the Nottingham Panthers captain to, to the Sheffield Steelers. But you, you, you played with some beauties there, imagine, though. The, it was a fucking you played with, play with, uh, with Sherds, Jason Hewitt, Jeff, Jeff LeGuin. Well, I mean, the team, the team that Finner had, I think the, the team that Finner had, had assembled was a fucking really, really good team. And obviously, it's a, it's, it's a, they were in a rebuilding stage, um, but there was still a nucleus of guys there that had been from been there, you know, in the previous good years. And you know, I knew going into that dressing room, I knew that the Brits were on that room. You know, Jonna, Huey, Toey, um, Jonna, Huey, Tomo, they they ran that room. Now I'd known Jonna for a long time. We played Southwest together at under 13s, and we'd been in every England and GB together the whole time through. I had rooms with Tomo with GB seniors one year, so I knew him as well. Uh, Huey and I had had a ton of battles. Um, anyone who's played against Huey, if you are not on his team, he was a piece of shit. And if you are on his team, you fucking love him. And going into that dressing room, you knew you had to get Huey. I, I knew I had to get Huey's respect. Uh, he was the one who ran that room. And he was a big voice in that room. And he was a big part. The three of them have made such a big presence to their success. So it was weird for me being kind of a captain of a room to almost feeling like a rookie going into a, a room. And then obviously with it being a team that I had despised the last six years. So it was, it was different for sure going into that dressing room. But like you ended up winning the playoffs there. So it's another yeah, I mean, the, the, the first year, the first year was the first year was a real adjustment period for me. Uh, Finner had assembled a really, really good team. 
uh, we just didn't really gel on the ice. Um, and then, you know, I think he, he needed a little bit more time there in order to kind of get what he wanted, the way that he wanted to run things. Um, but he was released at the end of that year. And then I was obviously on the end of a, of a two-year contract. And Doug Christensen had taken over, which suited me down to the ground. Because a lot like Corey, he was the kind of coach that would really get a lot out of me. Both him and Corey um, were, were just tremendous coaches for me. Incredibly detailed uh, video all the time they would give you, you know, so so many stats and stuff like that and really just generally help you with your game. And, and I, I was really pleased to see Doug was there. And then Doug, Doug had said what a really good team, but I think for one reason or another, just it, it just didn't work and the, the dynamic didn't work. And he was very, very tough, especially on the, at the start. We went away for a pre-season tournament and we came back with like eight injuries where he pushed us so hard. And that's not to sound like, sour milk or anything like that but he pushed us real hard and guys just weren't responding to it and then in the end uh, Gerard Adams comes in and then we just go on this run we had such a tight team that year some real you funny guys with, uh, uh, Tom, long life friends as well. yeah so Sestito came over in the uh, in the lockout so that's my first year in Sheffield he was incredibly overweight good guy a lot of the guys have played with him in the AHL <laughs> Um, talk, oh talk yeah, let's uh, roll back. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, remember that? You, you had a shoulder injury. Oh, my shoulders, yeah. So, well, my shoulder. <laughs> I originally popped my shoulder in the Bracknell um, Summer League. You know, they, they still run that the Summer League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, uh, the TVSL. Yeah, yeah. So I, was pl- I was playing in that tournament just for a mess around, and I got the puck and I've gone around the net, and then there was this. As I come around the net, there was this young kid, because obviously you're playing against all different ages, all different abilities, and there's this young kid that's kind of standing on the face-off dot. And as I come around, I'm not really expecting him. And as I see him, I'm like, man, I want to wipe this kid out. So I go, he kind of ducks down, and I go to jump over him because I don't want to hit him. As I, as I jump over him, my skate catches his back, and I do a flip, and I land on my shoulder, and I pop my shoulder. And then from that day, I was continually just plagued by shoulder injuries. So I ended up having three surgeries, two keyhole surgeries, and then I had my major surgery uh, where they, they cut me open. Shoulder injuries are the oh, worst. Just, just, like, just awful. Like, I'm, I'm still it, waiting it, on my second shoulder surgery. but Yeah, I mean, really the two out. keyhole surgeries were a complete waste of time. And then from then on, like, I couldn't lift my, my elbow above my shoulder because it would come out. And I couldn't throw a tennis ball. You know, there was numerous times where I would fight and my shoulder would come out. And, like, it was fucked, completely fucked. So in the end, I end up having this huge surgery uh, where they cut me open. They end up putting a bone graft from my collarbone onto um, my, around my shoulder ball to stop my shoulder from coming in. So when I stretched my arms up, I got one arm longer than the other because I had to cut the back of my ligaments. And so I was in surgery for three hours, I was in hospital for six days. I saw the surgeon afterwards and I saw the notes and on the notes it said, patient's, um, patient's shoulder is grossly unstable, dislocated when I shook his hand. Like that's how bad my shoulder was. And I'd been playing like that for three years, something like that. And so, yeah, it was a long surgery and a, and a long rehab. And, you know, there was literally nothing I could do. I mean, my youngest son had been born. I couldn't even pick up my son. Um, I couldn't do anything. And so, yeah, so I piled on a little bit of weight and uh, 
What did you tip the scales at? I usually played at 94 kilos, and I think I, I think I must have got to about 104, something like that. So it's, oh, so it's a good 25, 30 pounds. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I came in and saw Corey at the start of the season. The guys hadn't arrived yet. And it's the first time Corey had seen me since surgery. And I walked in and he looked at me and he grabbed the Looks bike. Sad. And he said, come with me. So he grabbed the bike. He put it in his car. He said, get in the car. So we drove back to my house. He got the bike. And he put it in my house. He said, ride that every day for three hours. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> And I ended up working with a guy called Mark Coles at M. Oh, that I was, I was so obviously I'm a personal trainer, so I was going to bring you on. So Mark he, Coles, um, he saved, he, 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 he saved my career because that that was the, the uh, first you were year. Fucking they, shredded after working with that. Because uh, Sheffield was it Sheffield or Nottingham? Like this is the the first. So I'm, I'm in Nottingham at this stage. This, this is the first year that teams started like actually having like team personal trainers, right? Yeah, so I started working with Colsey before the rest of the guys. And um, so he's rehabbing my shoulder. And um, he was just incredible. And I owe him so much. He's, he literally saved my career. Without him, I would if you've uh, If you've got any contact, I would love to get him on. So he's, as... um, so he's in London now. He, he does, um, he's still at his gym in Nottingham, from my understanding. But now he goes around. Yeah, M doesn't he? And, and speaks to them. So yeah, he's done really well. He's, he's like the Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, like yeah, he's well, he's done really, really well, and right. he got me in fucking incredible shape, best shape of my life. He was by the time I was done with him, he he really whipped me up. So um, yeah, so but Tom Sestillo, he was cannon of a shot. How the fuck do you Absolutely. remember where he we killed, were? Like, I'm, I'm so impressed by your brain right now. Dude, he remembers the results from like playoff games fucking 20 years you know ago. What, you I, just, I just don't fight enough, Myers. You haven't had enough I'm just like, wait, what the fuck? Oh, yeah, we were talking about Tom Sestino. Like, how, how you need to come on this pod, like, as a presenter. Yeah, but you know, you know what's <laughs> funny? So I've, I've always been like this. So, and it was just, and it's one of the things that actually helped me in my career. Like, I was. I am an undercover hockey geek. Like I, I love stats and I love kind of every kind of little detail of things. Like there was a, when I was playing, I could tell you, I could tell you each player what skates they wore. I could tell what stick they used. I would, I would know stuff. And you know, when I wasn't playing, like I'd come off my shift and I would just sit and I would just watch other people. I'd, I'd learn from opposition defensemen and forwards, and especially when my like in Nottingham Sheffield, where I was employed as a defensive defenseman, where I was going up against the top forwards, I would just watch and watch and watch and just look for little tendencies. Anything that I could do to kind of help me, I was, I was always doing. I was, I was just kind of I'm a sucker for information. Like I just, it kind of stimulates me. And so, like, yeah, I can remember kind of all these things, results and stuff like that. It's just kind of... Like, don't get me wrong, I, I don't have any GCSEs. You know, like, <laughs> I could, I'm, I'm teaching my kid homeschool in the moment. It's, I, I, like, it's a disaster. An absolute disaster. <laughs> like, Speaking of disasters, I've just logged on to Facebook for the first time today. I take it that was you with the, <laughs> the post on 4,000 counting handy, you motherfucker. Why is he? Look at this shit. You see that? <laughs> <laughs> fucking wanker yeah, it's not too bad <laughs> yeah. um, I, was, I was like I'm, yeah, I'm, so I'm, 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 I, to be fair I wish I had his money that when we, uh, when we signed Sestito I remember calling Fordy and I said Fordy he's going to fucking kill someone like with a hit <laughs> and about three weeks later I phoned Fordy and I was like remember that time I told you Sestito was going to kill someone he's like yeah I was like he's just fucking hit this kid in hole 
and he almost put his face through the boards. It was just really, really bad. He was a big body and and a, and a, and a decent player. He didn't fight a whole lot. Wasn't any guys that wanted to fight him. I was going to say he didn't need to. No, and um, but he was a good guy. Was, I, I like to see. I mean, he didn't really have a massive impact on us because he was, you know, he wasn't in shape or anything like that. But he was certainly fun to have on the team. That's for sure. Let's uh, let's take it down to the EPL. You. So I'm so impressed we got back to uh, Thomas Asita from there. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Mate, we, we've all got a bit of the Billy Connolly syndrome on this podcast because you have, to, you, have to, you have to be able to go off and start telling nine different stories and then kind of somewhat get back to the story you were telling. But yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about the drop down. Two years in, in Sheffield, enough was enough. You, you decided you were going to get a bit, a bit closer to home and come, come back down south. Yeah. Guildford, Guildford was obviously going to be the smart option. Guildford is a smart option, but it wasn't, if I'm being honest, it wasn't where I wanted to go. Um, I wanted to go back home to Bracknell. End of my contract in Sheffield. It was the year that they made that big announcement. So I'd gone away. I'd spoken with G before. I went. I was at the airport. I was going away with GB, and I was assistant captain at GB at the time. And G called me and said, "Want you back?" And I was like, "No problem. I just want what was on last two years. We can get this done real quick. Brilliant. No problem." Go away with GB on the Monday. G calls me and he was like, "You know, I'm going to send over the contract. We'll get it all sorted out. Brilliant. No problem." Monday night. Is when everything changed for British hockey. Every, the la- whole landscape changed. The elite then decided they're going to go up and import, and they're going to go and import up and import every year. And I remember seeing this, and I incredibly turned around to Joanna again. I was like, Joanna, I'm getting fired <laughs> because they had already the, the, the Steelers had already had they already had Jonna, Huey, Dowdy, Tomo was on the on the second year of a contract, and then there was me, and. I was going to be the other one out. And rightly so. Those guys have been there the longest and they deserve to be there. And I was the last one in. And Tomo was, on, Tom was obviously another British defenseman. And for everything that he had done for that club, it was right that they were to, to keep him and, and not re-sign me. And then you know, G called me in the morning and he's like, um, listen, we, uh, we're going to go with another import. And so I'm going to have to withdraw that contract offer. Um, at the time, Mark Lefebvre had just taken over in Coventry. He had made me an offer while I was away with GB. Called me on the Tuesday and was like, buddy, we're going with an unreal I'm sorry, I'm going to have to pull a contract offer. So by 10 o'clock on the Tuesday morning, I've lost two fucking contracts. I'm like, fuck me. It's a rough start to the day. You know? <laughs> um, while I've been away with, um, with GB, I, I, I kind of want, I, in the back of my mind, I was like, if I'm not going back to Sheffield, then I want to go home. My wife wanted to go home. Uh, she's from my hometown. Our boys were at an age where we, I, I promised my wife that when my kids were a certain age, we would go home. And so before I went away, uh, Greg Rockman had called me and I'd been on a stag do with uh, Rocky uh, the Rocky's year before. And I said to Rocky, beauty. listen, I'm looking at coming home um, soon. And Rocky was in Guildford at the time. So he relayed this to Digger and Digger had called me and said, listen, we'd love to have you in Guildford. And I was kind of like, I want to go back, back home. Home, home is Bracknell to me. I want to go home. And I'd always said that I wanted to finish my career at the Bees. So, Just so didn't I find, fancy playing for £12.50 a week. Or get a dummy every week. Well, they wouldn't if I was there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if I, I, phoned, I phoned Lucas Smith, who I played with. So I said, listen, Smith, I want to come home. 
And he's like, okay, I said, listen, I'm not expecting you to pay me what uh, Sheffield have paid me, but can we put a package together where you can pay me a certain amount? Maybe if you can get my wife a job, let's try and make the package where I'm not, I know I'm not going to get the package that I get in Sheffield, but give me something that I can work with. You know, I've got my own, I've got my own flat, you know, can we work something where I can come back? And I'm so, not so did you have a place in Bracknell before you went up? Yes. I w- my wife's got a place in Wokenham, which is the next town along. Yeah. So we've still got it now. So he's like, oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, I'll be great. Blah, blah. He doesn't fucking call me back. So I sit there and I'm thinking, why is, why is he not calling me back? So I phone 40 and I'm like, dude, like, Smith's, like I've said to Smith, I want to come home and I'm willing to take a pay cut. Why is he not calling me back? So Smith is like, fuck, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what's going on. So, you know, he's calling Smith and Smith was like, oh, yeah, I'll call him, I'll call him. And he never fucking called me. And I was like, you fucking piece of shit. Like, if you don't want me, that's fine. But at least give me the courtesy to fucking call me back and say, listen, we're going in this direction. We can't afford you or we don't want you. That's fine. I can take that. But to ignore my fucking call and not call me back, I just found it so unprofessional, especially because I fucking play with the guy. Like, give me a call back and just say, hey, bud, listen, it's not going to work out. We're going in this direction. I'm really sorry. You know, you know, I hope it works out somewhere else. It, it, ta- no, it takes le- less than five minutes to make that phone call. Exactly. And I just thought that was a bit, little bit of fucking courtesy. And to be honest with you, you know, why he didn't call me back, I don't know. Maybe he was threatened that I was going to come in and take his job because Smith's a, you know, Smith's is a fucking mercenary man. I was just about to say, he's all about, he's all about number one. He's the sorry. And, you know, whatever is made of those comments, I'll fucking stand right by it. Uh, I couldn't care if there's any backlash from that because he is a mercenary. And I want He's known for it. He's known for it. It's not secret. You know, the worst thing was, is like, my first game back in Bratton playing for Guildford, like, the fans were like fucking booing me and I was thinking, you fuckers have no idea. That Mm -hmm. fucking prick over there that wouldn't let me fucking come back. And, um, yeah, I was fucking pissed at that. And I still am pissed at that, to be honest with you. You know, that, that's, I've never spoken to him since. I just thought it was fucking unprofessional. And um, so, then, so then we're left with Guildford. Um, and Telford, actually. It was at the time when Telford had got all that money. And yeah. um, Telford were kind of playing me and Weaves off. Me, Telford and Guildford were talking to me and Weaves. But what they didn't know is that me and Weaves were talking to each other. So we were kind of like, where do you want to go? I, like, oh, I wouldn't mind going home. And Weaves was like, yeah, I'd like to stay in country. I was like, all right, well, I'll sign in Guildford. You sign in Telford. So Weaves went to Telford and I went to so then, uh, yeah, signed a two-year contract in Guildford and uh, I made the move down. You uh, you put some points up in your second and third year. Your first year was a bit of a, a well, adjustment period. It was wasn't twenty-seven. Good. Like it was a big adjustment. Actually, that first year was that the year you fought Joe Greener. And how the yeah. fuck did you end up fighting Joe? Because never yeah, just, in a million years would I. No, I happen. mean you know, just talking on my first year in Guildford, I really, really struggled in Guildford my first year. Really really struggled i coming from coaches that were so detailed that you get accustomed to that and so you know playing in guildford and the way that it was run there like i just i'd be sitting there before games and i'd be like i'm so used to have like when i when i played with doug christensen he would like send me videos of players and it's like okay this is who you're going up against so i'd like watch the videos like, okay i know what i'm doing and then both Corey and, and doug would have like scout reports on every single player that you would and you go through it before each game okay this is what he's doing this is the form that he's in uh blah blah blah, blah. so you'd have that and, you know like i touched on upon before like, i need information i need it i need it to stimulate me and so coming and playing in guildford where i didn't have that 
I'd just be going into the games. I'd just be like, I don't know what the fuck, I'm, what my role is. They wanted me to play offense, like an offensive defenseman. I hadn't done that for, since I've been back in Bracknell. So that's, you know, that's like eight years ago. And so I really, really struggled to kind of to change over. And then, and then with Joe, I mean, obviously, you know, Adam's my best friend and Joe being his younger brother and our families have always been very, very close. And just listen, it's Joe being Joe. You know, Joe was fucking just going around fucking crushing people and, you know, he was... Just killing guys. Oh, just killing guys. And Joe turned out to be a heck of a player like we knew he would be. And we were playing Basingstoke and it was the one time that we were actually fucking beating Basingstoke because they beat the shit out of our team all year. And um, we were winning 3-2. There's about three minutes to go and he made a hit on Toei and I, just, I thought it was a fucking bad hit. And it's one of those ones where I kind of like, I've got to kind of like give a little jab but at the same time, I can't get into it with Joe right now because we're 3-2 up with three minutes to go. So I kind of give him a little bit of jab, and that was that. And I couldn't, I couldn't do anything more because if I get a penalty with fucking three minutes to go, I haven't been playing well all year. I don't need that from Rob Hepburn. <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so the next game, we line up, the face-offs in our zone, and we line up, and Joe says to me, you're going to try and fucking make me look like an idiot again today? And I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, you, just fucking trying to offer your gloves and, and then you don't fight me. And I was like, Joe, like I wasn't trying to embarrass you there at all. Like I would never do that to you and I wouldn't do that to anyone, to be honest with you. And he gave me a slash and then, and it really fucking bothered me for the rest of the period. It really bothered me that Joe thought that I was trying to embarrass him like that and disrespect him because I wouldn't fucking do that. If I'm, if I'm going in, if I'm going to go in and kind of like really go in, then I'm, going to fight you and probably going to lose but I'm going to fight you and and that really bothered me that Joe thought that I'd done that to him so at the start of the second period I said to Joe I said listen I wasn't trying to embarrass you there Joe so let's get that out of the way so Joe was like well why don't we go now I was like yeah let's do this now we'll fucking settle this now then because I don't want you thinking that I was trying to punk you or anything like that and then that's how that fight came about so I ended up fighting my best friend's brother and then I got a phone call from Adam in jail the next day. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing fighting Joe? <laughs> <laughs> He's an asshole. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, so that's how that fight came about. You did good though. Yeah, Joe, I mean, it was just weird, man. It's fucking fighting Joe. I'm like, fuck, what am I doing fighting Joe? And you know what? I mean, I didn't fight a whole lot in my career, but for the people I fought, I ended up always fighting fucking tough guys and I really should have been smart I mean <laughs> yeah he fought James Galazzi as Gazza, well like fucking season, tough or? tough broke my nose in that fight Gazza did Doug Clarkson uh, Sladok uh, Jerome Gideon <laughs> Andre Payet <laughs> <laughs> yeah just fucking I don't know why it's, uh, it's, it's a hell of a fight it, it, just Head of a fight card. For yeah, it's fucking stupid. <laughs> I, 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 I was going to say the same thing. But, I, I, but, it, but what it, I, I was fighting for my team. There was, you know, clearly I wasn't fighting for myself to fight these fucking guys. And so whatever fights I had was to either stick up for a teammate or to kind of get the team going. So by no means would I ever say that I was much, much of a fighter. But I would always, I would always stand in there if I, you know, if the team. And like I, I've watched a few of your fights, and I don't think you got dummied in any. Well, I can't, you know. So. so when I fought Clarkson, you know, I actually fucking called one of my teammates out after that um, because so Doug, it was Doug, wasn't it? Was it Doug Clarkson? Doug Clarkson, because yeah. it's his brother, isn't it? Yeah. So Doug. So um, 
we'd actually just killed a five on three penalty and one of our guys had come out Masalonga had come out of the box and he'd taken like a bit of a run at Clarkson and I was like fuck dude like don't do that because you ain't going to answer the bell and you're just fucking stirring this up and, and Clarkson had done nothing to me prior to that he was doing his physical thing which he's certainly entitled to and he then fucking he punches Masalonka and then he turns to me and then I'm like I've got to fucking be seen to doing something here I can't just walk away so I gave him a shot and then his gloves came off and then now we're going so I'm like all right fucking buckle up here here we go so we square off and I grab him and as I grab him, I grab the middle, you know, like you're, you're trying to grab his shoulder, his right hand shoulder. I grab the center of his jersey. I'm like, I'm watching the fight now and he is, his reach is Dude, a lot bigger than yours. I, I, I was barely <laughs> fucking grabbing him and like I grabbed the middle of his jersey and this was fucking unloaded. I'm like, fuck me. And uh, it was, he was really fucking cool afterwards. And we actually became pretty good friends. It's funny because after the fight, we come out. And uh, he goes to me, man, you're really strong. I was like, listen, buddy, when a human being is fighting for their life, they may seem fucking strong because I was fighting <laughs> for their life there. Um, but yeah, and, and, I, I, and I called out that Masalonka actually after the Gaza fight because he was doing it quite a lot. And I don't mind, like, if you're going to run round, you got to answer the fucking bell every so often. But if you're not going to fucking answer the bell, like, you're just getting the fucking rest of us in fucking trouble. There. And... And he, um, he was kind of like, he was sticking Gaza and stuff like that. And then Gaza went to hit him and he fucking submarine Gaza. Really fucking bad. And, Masa, and Gaza went over and Harry did break his leg on Evermo. And then Masalonka dived into our bench. Dived into our bench. And I was like, fuck you, man. And then, so Gaza, understandably, is raging. So he's kind of like coming over to our bench. And then another kid comes over from Bratton and started chirping. I'm like, listen, bud, fucking... This don't involve you, so just just settle down here. And then Gaza was looking for blood, and I understand. And I was like, "Fuck it!" Like I don't want him going after Duggan, you know, Tommy Duggan or, or Ben Campbell. And I was like, "Fuck, Gaza, I'll fight you then." And he was like, "Gaza was like, you know, don't have to." And I was like, "Fuck it, come on, let's just let's just do it because this is gonna it's gonna calm everything down here." And fuck, you know, he's a fucking tough dude, man. And it, and I didn't realize at the time he, he broke my nose in that fight and um i had to have surgery the, the following week and um i had surgery on the friday and fucking played in basis like with a full face cage on the saturday <laughs> so uh yeah to, to gaza just fucking tough tough dude a lot of respect for that guy my um you know what's really cool with gaza he 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 texted me afterwards and he said you know great fight you know uh you okay i said yeah i'm all right you know good job and stuff like that he's like i saw your um i saw your kids look quite worried because of where he was in the penalty box, my kids were, were next next to him. And he was like, um, you know, I saw your kids were, were, were a little bit worried during the fights. You know, I just want to make sure that your kids were all right. And I just thought that was a fucking really classy thing. Gaz is a good guy, man. I yeah. played with him. He's I just thought it was a good. really fucking classy thing for him to do. So, Well, let's talk about the kids, because we've had you for like two and a bit hours now. Let's, uh, <laughs> fuck, we've been going hard. We're all going to get divorced in like <laughs> five We're all getting divorced in five minutes. Let's, uh, I'm, on, let's... I'm on my fourth piss of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's wrap up with two two things. Firstly, I want to touch on your GB career, and then I want you to wrap up and tell us what you're doing with the junior development now and 
where that's going to play out. I mean, GB was just a massive thrill, thrill for me. Uh, my first GB coach was Chris McSorley. Um, and cool. that was fucking terrifying. That was really fucking scary. I, he had, he had Brent Pope in tears before one game. He shouted at him that bad. And, um, Good. he was fucking terrifying. He actually, at the time he was trying to buy Cardiff and, um, he had ranged the game, um, in Cardiff to try and generate some money. And he brought his brother over and his brother obviously was, had just been fucking banned from, uh, from the NHL for the Brashear incident. So, uh, his brother came over and played for Team GB for us against uh, Sweden under 23s, bizarrely enough. So that was weird. And then, so I was with Can you imagine being a Swedish under 23? Oh, and his kid, and opening face off, this kid <laughs> fucking runs him as well. Holy shit, what a man, man, he was. And then, um, and then Paul Thompson was my coach, and he was just brilliant for me. Just gave me a ton of ice time. He was, he was so good to me just a really good coach matched me up against Kopitar when we played against Slovenia so that was pretty cool to to be able to be matched up against him and how did, that, how did that go it was okay I mean it wasn't the and and say Kopitar that you have now um so he was still pretty young um I, I think what the coolest thing about him was he still worked as hard in that game when he didn't have to and I just thought it was fucking real cool that he was he was like that and then uh Andy Buxton, when he took over, who he's, he's he is he was the like manager of GB. He done an incredible job because you get fucking no money when you go over GB. In, in fact, for me, it cost me money because I would always go back to work in the summer and I would earn more money from work than I would going away with GB. But Andy would do everything he could to kind of make it, you know. And I know it sounds bad, but affordable is maybe the word. You know, you're playing for your country, so of course you want to play. You're doing it for free, but at the same time, you still do have bills that you need to. Well, not, football players you know we don't have money in the bank but Andy would do whatever he could to kind of you know make it as professional as possible and what Andy has done for that team is just incredible and then um and so we were doing well and then and then there was the one year that we were in the Ukraine and um and we we got silver and we were seven minutes away from getting promoted to Paul A and um that was just devastating absolutely devastating that we would have been in Paul A and um on the back of that Tomo because we were so close, I believe this is the story. Tomo went back to the Ice Hockey UK and was like, listen, we're on the cusp, we need more money. They didn't share his vision and then Paul Thompson resigned. And for a while, the, the GB program really went down to shit, to be honest, yeah. Um, Andy Buxton quit as well. And that's when Tony Han took over. And, um, you know, there was a time where the GB was, was a real fucking shit show. We were playing, I remember we had to play Hungary in a relegation game and the equipment managers, it wasn't TAF, it was different equipment managers, and they were packing up the, uh, the van because they were leaving after the game and we were flying home the next day. We were playing hunger. We have to win the game to stay up in the, in the division. So we get out on the ice and we're skating around for like three, four minutes, still no pucks, still no pucks, skating around. Fucking In the end, John was like, where's the fucking pucks? And the equipment guys had packed the fucking pucks. So we'd done a, we'd done a warm-up without any pucks. And that was our relegation game that we had to win to stay up. And we were, so we, few, there was like three or four of us that were on the red line waiting for pucks to come over the other side from the other team. And then we'd kind of take yeah, them. Pucks, yeah. yeah. And uh, incredibly, we, we won that game 5-4. But that was the team spirit that you get with those guys. And I, I, that's something I do miss, the, the, the GB boys. Going away with GB is such a special moment. With those group of guys, I, Davey Phillips is my D partner for a long time. He's fucking hilarious. In that case. Just, 
just an absolute beauty. And we, we had a really good uh, understanding between each other. And then, um, and then Doug came in and he took over and that was my final year. And uh, Doug, again, he was great for me. He, he made me assistant captain that year. And I was, bizarrely enough, joint top scorer with Shieldsy that year. I'm not, I'm not sure how. But, uh, and then I dropped down to the, to, to, uh, to the EPL and then uh, Pete took over and, um, and Pete went in a different direction. Let's, uh, let's talk about the juniors. Okay. What you doing? Uh, doing, doing your thing with the kids and all. Yeah, so when, when I retired, the Flames, obviously, they made the announcement that they were going up to the Elite League. And I was like, fuck, like, I can't go back up to the Elite League. I've set up my business down here. My kids have started playing. And I just don't, I'm not, I'm not playing Elite League anymore. I can't do the road trips anymore. So in January, when they announced it, I went into the office and said, listen, I'm going to retire at the end of the year. I was going to play one more year if they had been in the EPL. Um, so... I just said, listen, take me out of your consideration. You're going to have a lot of uh, lot of things that you need to think about who you're going to keep on. You know, I'll make it easy for you. I won't be here. And so that's one less person you need to consider. So I retired and then, and then I decided to, uh, to start coaching the kids. So I, uh, in Guildford, so this is where I am now. So I'm based in Guildford and uh, started up my business here, which I've been running the last two years of playing. My last two years at Guildford, I've set up my business so I took over the Guildford under nines and under elevens, and so it's. And we've spoken about this before, Nicky. You know, like we, you know, when people ask you, do you, do you miss the game? I don't no. miss the playing at all. I miss coaching all. so much. And we spoke about this a lot. I love coaching these kids. Love like, it. You know, love I just, it. Just I've I've had offers to coach, um, you know, NHL teams, and I and I turned it down. Coaching is just incredible, and I've started it with the under nines, and it, and the reason why I started with under nines is because. And I've heard on your podcast quite a bit, you know, you're talking about how things have changed. For me, if you teach them at under nines, they know no different. So my kids that I teach at under nines, under 11s, and now I do the under 13s, they've been with me for the last three, four years. They know no different other than respect the teammates. They know no different to respect their coach. They know no difference that I would accept nothing but 100% in practice. Absolutely nothing. And in order to change what is perceived now as a snowflake generation, You've got to go right back to the start. And so that's why I decided to coach on the nines. So the way that they think, the way that they see hockey now, and most importantly, the way that they behave, forget the skills, forget all that. It's them as a hockey player and what they are, their attitude towards it. That's what I really, really put into them. And I started on the nines. And I know on the nines are seen as, you know, like you've got to have fun and stuff like that. When the nines have fun, but it's controlled. It's not a shit show. You don't just go out there and just whack pucks and don't get told, okay, next time do this. You know, I teach them, okay, listen, next time you're, you're in this position, this is your option here and this is your option here. You can still have fun within the structure. Within structure. And so even with my, under, I mean, I do the under 11s and under 13s now, but even when I was doing the under nines, I was like, okay, you're going to turn up into the rink. You're going to hang your equipment up. You're going to get your off-eye stuff on. I'm going to go do a warm-up. And so that's good though for, for my for my kids that I now it's, it's, how, it's how it should be yeah so my kids that I was when I coached teens they don't know any different they know that they have to get to the rink they have to hang up their equipment they have to get their off ice stuff on they're going to have a team talk they're going to go do the workout and then we're going to have a team talk and we're going to go out and we're going to compete and we compete in practice you know I make sure the kids are there on time and when you're here and you're on the ice you like any of us the game doesn't owe you anything. There's been a thousand players before you and there will be a thousand players after you. No one can cheat. Yeah, more, more, more than that. 
no one can see hockey, you know, and, and it shouldn't be any other way. You know, for me now as a dad of two kids, if my kids were to turn pro and they ask me, what should I do when I turn pro? I'm going to tell them nothing about skill. I'll tell them nothing about the game. I'll tell them, you make sure you pick up the bucks at the end of practice. You make sure you're the last guy off the ice. When the bus turns up to food on a road game, you make sure you're the last off the bus and you make sure the veterans get their guys their food first. And it's that that has gone awry. Yeah. Because the players now are more skillful, they are faster, they are fitter. But what is missing is... I remember, like, I remember... It, 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 it's the respect for, like, paying your dues. It is. And, and I'll tell you what else it is, is that if you don't get picked for a team, if you don't get picked for a line, whatever happened to... Then go show the coach. Whatever yeah, fucking give something. Do, do something. Then earn not, it. not, I'll go and speak to the coach and I'm going to stamp my feet and I'm going to make a fucking scene. Because that was no. never the case in our days. If you weren't picked for a team, your dad tells you, then go fucking show him. Go show him why he's wrong not to pick you for that team, for that line, for that role. Like, that's, that's gone. And so yeah. that's what needs yeah. to be brought back. Because, you know, but I buy it. So for my kids, you know, they've got, they've got their stick handling accessories. They've got the fucking rebounders or whatever they are. They've got their shooting targets. They've got all that. And I've bought them all that. And I've gone, go ahead. So have I. <laughs> <laughs> I will, but I will, I will not tell them to go out and do it. That's their motivation. That's got to come from them. I'll buy them whatever they need, but I will not motivate them. They have to motivate themselves. And what I, I mean, that, I, that, I, that, that's the, that, that's the best attitude. Because like, how many kids burn out from their parents being like, "You need to go outside." Like, I used to play um, at Harringay with a kid, and he was a phenomenal talent. Like, he um, hit the sixteen-year-old age barrier now which is fucking stupid but we won't go into that hit that came into the team and he was like instantly first line defenseman like yeah, yeah this is nihl two, but a kid 16 and then the following year i absolutely starred top line defenseman it went to uni and it's just like i'm not playing hockey anymore because his dad wasn't there he could say no it was just such a waste of talent like he's got an amazing brain on him but like he could have easily with the right coaching with the right environment without the pressure of parents telling him that he has to do it all the time on top of his schoolwork he could easily be playing national league now well the problem is is that it's all right doing this for a junior kid for his junior career you think you can do that at pro you think you can go into the coach's office at pro you think i can take my son and say my son was a scientist you need to play job his first season stepping up i was captain of the team at harringay uh his dad was just like loitering the changing room and like what are you doing? He's like, just making sure my, my son's okay. I'm like, get the fuck out of it. <laughs> get the fuck out of it. Like, straight up, get the fuck out. And no, then I mean, he'd like, wait in the hallway. And I was like, get the fuck out the hallway. Like, I'll change him upstairs. It's like, go and sit in the stands like a good parent. Fuck off. Yeah. This is like, this is your, your son's time now. This is not you. Fuck off. And the thing is, is that, you know, what, what has to be, a kid may be good at 11, but he might not be good at 14. And a kid might be brutal at 14, but he might be real good at 16. Like, kids peak at different times. And so, like, pushing, pushing, pushing for the now is just, it's fucking everything up. And, you know, I've, with my kids in here in Guildford, the, the teams that I coach, and we've got a, I'm trying to create a culture where everything, so at under nine level, from my under nine team, I would teach them at an under 11 level. And under 11 level, uh, when I was under 11s, teach them at under 13 level. So when they make that jump up, they understand the game. 
I do very little when it comes to skills, if I'm being honest with you. For me, it's about building a culture when I'm off the ice with them and how they conduct themselves. And then on the ice, you know, teaching them game awareness. Because it's all right having fucking million dollar wheels, but if you've got a 10 cent brain, you ain't going to fucking make it. You are not going to make it. We can get you faster, but we've got to get your game engaged and be able to see and be aware of what's going on so that if you are playing for a club team, if you are, if you're taught the game, then that transition to conference isn't so bad because you're like, okay, I can adjust to what the, what the coach needs me to do. Because trust me, if you want to play pro, you're going to have to fucking adjust and you're going to have to play a role that is available. I would love to have been a forward all my life. There wasn't enough spots. I became a defenseman. I would have loved to have been an offensive defenseman my whole life. Well, Corey Nielsen and Jan Krajicek took care of that. Fuck it. There's a defensive defenseman role. It's shit. I block shots. I barely got over the red line, but I'm going to fucking do it. And you have to be adaptable. And if you put your, your pride in place where you're like, I'm going to be this player and I'm not playing another role, it ain't going to fucking last very long. I can tell you that much. And you've got to be able to be adaptable to a team and a coach and what they want. And those are the ones that fucking last. That's for sure. I mean, it, it, it didn't last, but uh, I thought when I was growing up, I was like, I want to get paid to play hockey. So I was like, right, I'm shit. What else can I do? Get punched in the face. So, Listen, man, it's, it's whatever you can do to survive. And, and, and that's what it was for me. It was no different for me. Like, what do you need me to do? Fuck it. All right, that's what we do. I didn't see a power play for eight years. For eight years, I was yeah. like, all right, then I'm just going to be the best penalty killer I can be. And you, the we've got a good thing in Guildford and it's something that I want to continue. And I'm like being out on the ice with them on a Tuesday and and I get up at fucking five o'clock on a Sunday morning to coach them as well. And the pride I get from coaching these kids is just immense. And my under 11 team last season, we lost in the national final and it was, it was one of the proudest moments. And it was also like one of the fucking one that hurt me the most, not winning that to see them go all the way. And we were, we were the lowest seed there and we went and we lost in the final and they gave me fucking everything and they played and they could, they were, they were a good team. They were, they were skillful, very, very good skaters, but the heart and the desire that they played with was what made me most proud. And uh, we're going to try and continue that in Guildford for sure. But that, that mindset sets them up for the rest of their lives as well. Yeah, and you've got to be mindful of that when you're a coach. You're not just an ice hockey coach. Like You're trying to teach them through life. And, and everything that I try and teach them as a hockey coach is kind of like, no, this is going to fucking help you in life. You know, like, yeah. you are going to get knockbacks. Trust me. And if you're going to become a pro- professional hockey player, you're going to get fucking stampled on quite a few times. And it's going to hurt like shit. And you've got to be able to respond to it. And it's no different from any other walk of life. There's going to be bosses that you get in, in any walk of life, bosses that are going to be fucking pricks to you it's going to make your fucking life hard and you're going to see someone get promoted above you that you're like that guy's fucking brutal how the fuck is that happening is at that stage where you go fuck it i'll show them and that's the attitude that i wish we could kind of bring back where it's if the kid hasn't made a team as opposed to parents going and stamping their feet and being like why is my boy not in the fucking team you're pretty cool the parents turned around and went you know what fucking show them and I think then we start getting back that mentality of you've got to fucking earn it because that's the problem that we've got right now. And, and hopefully that's something that it goes in a cycle and hopefully we can kind of get that out. All right, Mizey, we've had you for fucking like two hours, 40 minutes. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> give, me, uh, give me one more story. Look how tired you are. 
<laughs> I'm pretty high, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was. <laughs> mate, what can you do? Like, it's, uh, it's lockdown, mate. I'm bored. Oh, I know. Uh, I don't it's... know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Fuck me. I don't know what I'm going to do. Right, story for the boys. Go right, on, one last story. What we got here? So I made some... I did make some notes. The thing is, <laughs> I've got quite a few stories left. I'll tell you what. Let's talk about Richard Allberg. Remember him and Guildford, the goalie? Yeah. He was fucking batshit crazy, that guy. So that. we picked him up halfway through the season. And um, so he was supposed to be like the next Tuka Rask out of Finland. Um, and by the time he was 22, he'd been fucking kicked out of so many teams. Gambling problem, drinking problem, just a lot like fucking Jay, to be honest with you. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and his first game, we um, were in Basingstoke for the Challenge Cup semi-final. And... Uh, I get on the bus and as I'm walking to the back of the bus, all the boys are just fucking dying laughing. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? So I, I would sit at the back of the bus with Hemmer. So I get to the back of the bus and Hemmer is fucking in tears. And he's like, and I'm like, what are you laughing about? He's like, go check out our fucking new goalie. So I look down the aisle and fucking Allbirds got this fucking hat on and a hood over his head. So I'm walking down. So I'm like, you right, buddy? He's like, yeah. And he's got fucking shades on as well. I'm like, Fucking so this is in February, so it's dark and it's a midweek game. And uh, so I'm like, What's up? And he's like, Oh, nothing. And I was like, What's going on underneath those fucking glasses? So he fucking takes his hood back down, takes his hat off, takes his fucking glasses off, and his face is like a fucking tomato. Turns out he'd gone to the fucking tannin place and had doubled up the sunbed and had fucking burnt everything on his face and his back. And he's about to play his first game for Guildford in Basingstoke, the coldest rink in the fucking world. And this guy has got fucking like sunstroke. And I'm like, oh my fucking God. So it's get... the best place for him. Yeah, so we, we fucking we get there. So like he's putting on his fucking sweat. So it's like he, he doesn't want it touching his skin because his skin's so fucking burnt. And sure as shit, he fucking went out and got, got a shout out. We won 3 0. And, uh, <laughs> what else did you have on your what else did you have on your little list there uh, so, so, you uh, got got me intrigued yeah. now <laughs> that, 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 that can't be the best story, <laughs> no there's, there's a few I mean we um, alright so this is this is a decent story so my um, so this is after I fight Galazi so we have a team team night out so I've got this fucking broken nose and we have a team night out on the Monday and uh, on the Tuesday, I'm traveling up to Sheffield for John's testimonial. Now, on the Monday morning, I have, on the Tuesday morning, I have a, an appointment at the hospital to get my nose checked to see what needs to be done. So we have our team night out on a Monday night, so we go to London, so fucking, I'm just crushed. So wake up in the morning, and I'm like, look at my clock, I'm like, holy fuck, I've got to be in the hospital in fucking, like, 15 minutes. So... Haven't eaten, so as I run out, there's like the kid's penguin bars at the, um, on the side. So I grab a couple of penguin bars and I put them in my fucking pocket. So I drive down and I'm, and I'm, in, my, um, I'm, I'm in my van. And so park, fucking, I've got all the, I managed to grab all the change. So I, I put the change in my pocket and I zip up my pocket and I'm like, right. I zip up my pocket because I think if I start running and change goes everywhere, I'm already fucking hungover, I'm look fucking terrible. So I go into the, I put the change in my pocket, go into the hospital. So they go and see me and they're like, yeah, okay, blah, 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 blah. Can you wait around for an hour? And uh, we'll see you, for two hours and we'll see you again. I'm like, fuck. So I'm hung to the gills right now. It's absolutely fucking dying. So I'm like, tell you what, I get back in, if I get back in my van, I'll go home, maybe get an hour's kit, 
come back and everything will be all right. So I come out and the fucking car park is packed at this hospital. And I go to unzip my, my pocket to get my car keys out. Now, I don't want to say who the maker of the tracksuit is, but it's notorious for fucking zips not working. So I go to undo the zip on my pocket and I'm like, fuck, I can't get it open. So I'm fucking pulling on it, pulling on it, and my car keys are in there. So I'm fuck's sake. So I'm in the fucking stand outside my van. There's people honking at me because they want my fucking car park spot. So I'm trying to get my fucking zip open. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck me. And uh, so I'm trying to get my fucking zip open. And um, I don't know why, but I was like, maybe if I grab a branch or a twig and I can try and prise it open. So I fucking, I'm trying to prise open my fucking pocket twig snaps people are still fucking honking at me i'm like fuck me so i call i call my wife i'm like listen listen i'm in a fucking bad way here like you might need to leave home and, and come back and, and and help me out and uh you still there yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, okay sorry my screen's gone so i'm like i'm in a bad way she's like danny i can't leave work i'm like joanna like, i can't get my fucking car keys out of the pocket she's like why don't you just press it and it should open so i'm like fucking right it's perfect so i'm fucking pressing my pocket pressing my pocket eventually it unlocks i'm like yes i'm in now it's opened up the cab of my van not the front so i'm like fuck it so i open up the cab of my van and i have to climb through and i eventually get to my seat so i'm like right at least i'm in my van now so then I'm trying to fucking get my keys to start up the engine. So I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? So then I found a standing knife from my tools. So I fucking split my standing knife. I get the standing knife. I split my pocket. As I split my fucking pocket, where I picked up those penguin uh, biscuits in the morning for breakfast, there's just fucking, where I've been crushing my pocket, trying to press the key on the, the button on the key. All of a sudden, like, there's like fucking biscuits flying out of my fucking pocket. So I'm here for like 45 minutes. By this time, I'm like, there's no point in fucking going home. So all these people are honking, like, fuck you, leave me alone, you know? So I'm like, I go back into the hospital, I'm like, I gotta do fucking something about this. So I found a lady, I was like, listen, I'm in a fucking bad way here. So could you hook me up one of those IV trips? She's like, we don't usually do this for you. Uh, we don't usually do this for you, uh, uh, sir, but you look pretty bad. Maybe we should do it for you. I was like, yeah, fucking right. Get me an IV trip. <laughs> so she goes, oh, you she comes fucking back. legend. So she comes back and she's like, listen, we can't, we can't sort you out. And I'm, 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 so this time I'm in the cafeteria and I, I it looks like I've got fucking AIDS, dude. Like I'm fucking sweating. I'm pale <laughs> as fuck. And I'm just like, oh my God. So I wait around and I get my um, get my appointment and they're like, yeah, right, surgery next week. I'm like, great. So by this time, I've been there for like fucking three hours and I need to get up to Sheffield for John's testimonial. Now I still haven't fucking picked up my equipment. So I fucking get to the rink, I grab my equipment, stick it in the van. So I fucking, so now I'm driving to, she to Sheffield and I'm just dying, fucking dying. And obviously I'm stuck on the M25, I'm stuck on the M1. Eventually get to Sheffield. I get there late for the testimonial. Play the testimonial. Somehow fucking get through it. And then all the boys are like, all right, we're going out for, uh, we're going out for some, some beers afterwards. I'm like, perfect. So I'll get back on the beers. Everything will be fine. At this stage, like, my battery on my phone is completely gone. So I drive to Asda. I grab a charger. Charge up my phone. I'm like, boys, I'm just going to go back to the room and um, get changed. And I come out. And then I woke up in the morning, still in my fucking clothes where i'd got into i literally must have sat down and just fallen back and just fucking passed out still in all my fucking clothes with my keys in my fucking hand and i missed my <laughs> fucking night out so i was fucking 
so that was that was the car crash of my fucking life. But uh, no, it's fucking funny times. Thankfully, it wasn't the car crash. But, no, um, it wasn't. Yeah, we've we've, uh, we, we've kept you long enough, so thank you so much. Really appreciate no, you coming no, on. Mine's You've it's been an absolute gem. Thank, thank you, brother. Listen, it's been a pleasure. Um, Any time that you need me to come back on, I could do another. Mate, I'm sure we back. could do this easy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we probably could. Sure. Uh, uh, no, yeah. I reckon uh, a joint interview with Greener next. No, I, I spend enough time with Adam at work, and I don't. <laughs> this is, I mean, this, this whole lockdown situation is great for me, where I can get some mental space. Get some peace. I pause this whole career just to get away, get away from Greener. I, I reckon a, a joint live interview on a Saturday night. Oh fucking Jesus Christ! I don't know if I'm ready for that. Yeah. No. I don't think anyone's fucking. <laughs> right, Mosey, it's been it's been awesome, mate. So yeah, thank you bad. very much. All the best. That interview was brought to you by You Are What You Eat, the brand new recipe book from Peak Fitness Personal Training. Each month you pay £6 and you can get 30 brand new recipes delivered directly to your inbox. We've got turkey chili, we've got pizzas, we've got everything you can imagine in there. Prawn linguine, we've got spicy Moroccan eggs, we've got loads of desserts. All sent to your inbox, 30 recipes every month for as little as £6. Right, that was a fantastic interview with Danny. We had him for two hours, 45 minutes. Split out over two eppies. Coming up next week, we've got former NHLer Todd Fedorik. He is a fantastic interview. You guys are going to love it. Don't forget, check us out on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at 4000 and Counting. Gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand.